Plato's Phaedo is concerned with the arguments for immortality of the soul, and the theory of forms is used to support this argument. Plato introduces the theory of forms at uh, 65d4 and following. This theory is not itself argued for here. It's taken as a given by everyone. 65d6, 74b1, 78d8, 92d6, 100c1, 102a10, for example. The conclusions reached about immortality depend on the theory of forms. Plato acknowledges this at 107b4. You are not only right to say this, Simeus, Socrates said, but our first hypothesis requires clearer examination, even though we find them convincing, and if you analyze them adequately, you will, I think, follow the argument as far as a man can, and if the conclusion is clear, you will look no further. I hesitate to open a detailed talk about Plato's theory of forms in this little time. I will point out some notable features very briefly, however. First, the theory of forms is not invoked by Plato as an ad hoc solution to the question of immortality. The theory emerges from philosophical problems. For example, it attempts to answer the questions of the early dialogues in which Socrates examines various value concepts, such as beautiful, bravery, piety, prudence, justice, courage, etc. These are all dialogues which ask, what is X, some abstract concept? There are two common Greek words for the forms, eidos and idea. In Greek, words for knowing were related to words for seeing. For example, oida. It means I have seen or I know. It will be used in the sense of I know, but it really is the perfect tense of, of to see. Eidos is a common Greek word referred most often to the physical shape or appearance of something. Plato redefines the meaning of eidos here to mean something rather more metaphysical. I believe over time the word idea becomes more common for Plato as a term for forms. But be careful to note that Plato's idea does not mean what our word idea means. Plato's idea is in no way subjective or just in the mind of a person. Plato is not an idealist like Berkeley. The mind, or psuche, views the forms which have an independent existence, just as your eyes can see an apple or have an apple as an object of perception. The psuche takes forms as objects. The platonic forms are not located either in space or time. They never change. That is, they are immutable. They transcend the realm of physical things or phenomena. In the Phaedo, the discussion about forms is chiefly interested in those concepts of value. In the Republic, around 596 following, forms for particular things are mentioned. Bed, table, for example, a shuttle in the Cratylus. The scope of this theory of forms, how far Plato intended to apply these universals, 
is a matter of some debate, large debate, really. In his book, The Parmenides, Plato hesitates to follow or to allow forms of mud, dirt, hair. This hesitation may not be supportable. If you're interested in these ideas, there's a very readable discussion of universals and some of the consequences which follow from whatever position you decide to hold. It's by David Armstrong. The title of the book is Universals, an Opinionated Introduction. Next, we turn to the various arguments. His first one, from 69E6 to 72E1, is called The Cycle. Opposites are generated from opposites. What becomes beautiful must have been ugly before. What becomes hot must have been cold before. What becomes cold must have been hot before. There are two processes at work, growth and diminution. Just as moving from the wakeful state to a sleeping state is like to moving from life to death, there should be a corresponding process moving from sleep to wakefulness. In this case, the wakefulness would be reincarnation. Next, he tries the recollection of forms. Socrates presents an argument similar to the one offered in Mino. Instead of moral terms, however, he tries out the form of equality. First, he shows how we might recollect one thing while we actually see or experience something else, something quite different. This is a very important step. We never actually see equality. All we do is see things which resemble equality, but we are able to judge things as more or less equal which can only be possible if we have in mind a standard of equality. So we look at two things we do know, say two apples, and it makes us recollect the form of equality. We say, yeah, those two apples are equal. You two see two sticks that are equal. But of course, in the real world, nothing's actually perfectly equal. At 78b4 to 84b8, he tries another argument. It's called the affinity to forms. Our our senses take in the data of things in the sensible world. All of the things in our sensible world collapse, change, die. They're not stable. But the ideas that are grasped by the suke are perfect, unchanging, ideal. So it makes sense that the soul has an affinity to the forms. It too would be perfect and unchanging. It's not a matter of breaking down into composite parts. Things in the physical world decompose into elements. But the forms are perfect. And it follows, by analogy, that the part of us that grabs the forms, that perceives the forms, would be like the forms. Perfect and unchanging. At 84C1 to 88B8, we now see objections. Simeus wonders whether the soul is not a harmony, like a blending in a particular proportion of physical elements. If this is the case, then it can no more outlast the body than a melody can outlast the existence of a lyre. That's their musical instrument. Cabes observes that the soul does outlast the body, as our body is always being renewed. But in the case of a coat that is being rewoven by its wearer, we cannot assume from the final coat that the weaver 
still exists. Perhaps death is caused by the soul's destruction. What needs to be shown is that the soul is essentially indestructible, immortal. From 88 C1 to 95 A3, we get the replies to these objections. First, there's a warning against mythology, hating or despising reasoned debate. Socrates points out that some people become very frustrated, angry, disillusioned with arguments, arguments that don't go anywhere, and they want to give up on arguing and reasoning. They might even say, there is no truth, we can't figure this out. Socrates points out that that does not follow logically. Don't give up searching for truth. Keep at it. Socrates then points out to Simeus that the soul, as a harmony, is not consistent with the recollection argument, so he must choose between them. Simeus re rejects the theory of harmony, although it hasn't even been argued for. Socrates then notes that there are problems with the harmony theory anyway. How does it account for virtue and vice? If the soul is like an attunement, then every soul is tuned, and thus good. Thirdly, the attunement is an epiphenomenon. It emerges from and reflects the properties of its parts. It does not direct or control its parts the way the soul directs and controls the body. Then, to Cabes, he observes that when a cold thing becomes hot, the cold cannot admit and live beside the hot, so it must retreat or perish. There are forms which cannot coexist. The soul brings life to objects, and it cannot admit death. If it will not admit death, it will not admit destruction. Therefore, the soul, the suke, is immortal.